0: God's Word in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. O Lord, you are the God of all comforts. You are the God of all mercies, and we come to hear you speak. O Lord, we don't just want to hear some thoughts of a man. We want to hear you speak and comfort us in our many anxieties, to know that you are our good Father who cares. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You feel restless, wound up, on edge. You're exhausted, but you can't fall asleep. However, somehow you know you did fall asleep because you wake up, and now it's the middle of the night and you can't fall back asleep. Your mind races over and over like a song stuck in your head and you can't seem to change your thoughts you can't stay focused on task, and what should take you just to be here 15 minutes an hour later you found you have barely begun you're filled with anxiety sometimes those anxieties go from distracting us to debilitating us they seem to control us and at times we are literally brought to our knees in china they built this bridge that's right on the edge of a cliff it's 850 feet up and it's a glass bridge so you have to be brave to walk out already because you can see through but they put a special effect in the middle of it on a section of it when you step on it it actually sounds like it's cracking and it will begin to look like it's cracking and you can watch people literally fall on their knees in terror and have to be pulled off because They think they're about to fall. They have been debilitated by their anxiety. Now for you, it might not be heights, but maybe it's traffic or water or certain creatures or even people make you anxious and nervous. A cold sweat comes over you. Your heart beats faster and your legs seem to have turned to rubber. You may even hyperventilate and be unable to get control without help. Along with physical effects, Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. We can be anxious people. We can look at our country. We can look at our health. We can look at our children and many other situations, and we seem suffocated with worry over what is going to happen. And we know this anxiety hurts us, but what can we do about it? Well, you can sing, well, don't worry. Be happy. You might even sing Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. And yet in the moment you're singing the songs, you're lighthearted, and yet that helps as much as thinking my laundry isn't there makes it get folded and put away. It's not reality, and the anxiety is still upon us. You can go to your doctor and you can get a medication, but even the National Institute of Mental Health says medication does not cure anxiety disorders but can help relieve symptoms so yes it may help take off the edge but we want to get to the root how can i cure my anxiety well this morning jesus shows you need to stop and think you need to use your brain and consider several things though it will be a battle. You can win the battle over anxiety, Jesus says, by considering seven things. If you have a bulletin, this outline's on the back. I guess I worked more than time and a half because it's normally three points and pulled seven out of this one. But seven different things that Jesus tells us that we need to consider. First consider the meaning of life we see that in verses 22 through 23 and you got to remember the context if you look right before this in verses 13 through 21 a man had come to jesus and said jesus tell my brother to give me half the inheritance and jesus warned him he warned the crowds. he said in verse 13 sorry verse 15 take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions And then he told a parable of a man who was wealthy and thought, well, life's great. I've stored up enough that I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of my life. I can care about me. And yet Jesus says, you're a fool because all you're thinking about is me, 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 and you must be rich towards God. And yet Jesus is now going to show you can be controlled by money, not by having lots of it, but by constantly worrying over it. And so he's now looking at it from this different angle, and he com- commands them, commands us not to be anxious about our life and the food we'll eat, nor about the clothes and we'll wear. You know, those are common anxieties, really representing all anxiety. Now we have to realize anxiety and worry are not problems in and of themselves. It's how do we respond to them. You know, Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians 11:28. 28, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Your anxieties will come upon us, but what do we do when they come? Do we foster them? Do we play them over and over, or do we turn them over to God? As 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Thus, Jesus is calling his disciples not to be anxious but to trust him with all of life. And Jesus is going to show that when we have the right perspective, when we have the right thoughts, when we let our minds consider and respond to the truth, we can remove our anxieties. You know, if you're going into battle, the bullets whizzing by are still going to bring fear. But they don't have to cripple you. Sorry, I feel like this is a little much. As you wait for the doctor's report, you're still going to have some concern. What is it going to say? And yet, it doesn't have to shut down your life. And the first reason why is Jesus tells us is life is more than we can physically see. You know, It's more than just our body. It's more the food than we eat. It's more than just clothing. You may remember the story where Jesus, he was baptized, and then the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And there, what is the first temptation? Satan says to him, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And yet Jesus responded, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus was showing that true life exists not merely with caring for the physical body, but ultimately with the spiritual as well. Now remember, the Spirit of God led Jesus there. Jesus had been hungry. He'd been wanting to eat for 40 days. And yet he didn't get anxious. He didn't worry. He trusted his father. And those verses often convict me because I often think, "Well, I wouldn't be anxious now if it wasn't for my situation. If it wasn't so how bad my finances are, or how bad this diagnosis from the doctor could be, then I wouldn't be anxious." You see, the problem isn't me; it's my situation. And yet Jesus shows he was in the worst of situations, and you can trust and you can live without crippling anxiety. He responded with faith because Jesus realized my life is not just about the food I have for my stomach. It's how am I responding to my Father in heaven. And though Jesus says we don't live on bread alone, he's not saying bread doesn't matter. He just taught us a few chapters before to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. What he wants us to realize is that our Heavenly Father provides that. And that we don't need to be anxious about it. And you can attack this anxiety if, as we see in the second point, verse 24, you consider your greater value than birds. Verse 24, consider the ravens. So Jesus pauses and he wants them to think. Now Jesus was teaching out in a field. What's flying overhead? What's swooping in when they drop their lunch? Well, ravens. Jesus is saying, look around you. You know, actually, birds are everywhere. You can find birds in the desert. You can find birds in the mountains. You can find birds in the Antarctic, in the Arctic. You can find birds in the countryside. You can find birds in the midst of the most dense population city. They're there. Birds are everywhere. And Jesus is saying, look, open your eyes, look around. Everywhere there's a bird, there is one of my creatures being taken care of. Now, ravens were well known to Jesus' audience, both from Nature and Scripture. From Scripture, a raven is the first bird Noah sent out from the ark. When Job is being rebuked by God, God asks him rhetorically, Who provides for the ravens? Answer, God. And though the ravens are declared to be unclean for the nation of Israel, God still provides for them. Even from nature, they would have known that ravens were very common birds. They weren't that important. And yet Jesus' point is, Though these are unclean, not respected birds, God even cares for them. And how? Well, it's not because the ravens are getting out their plows at springtime. They're not going and loosening up the soil and then putting in their seeds. They don't come back and harvest it and put it in barns. Rather, God feeds them. And the argument is really one from lesser to greater. If God, the creator, will care for something as meaningless as a bird, then won't God, your Father, not just your Creator, but your Heavenly Father, care for you? He made you in His image. He sent His Son to die for you. Isn't He going to care for you, His child? Elizabeth Cheney wrote this little poem about robins and sparrows. She said, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings Rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Have you considered the great value you have in God's eyes? Are you applying this amazing truth that God is your heavenly father to your anxiety? You know, Jesus here is calling us to reflect, to think even look around you. Now, Jesus doesn't mean, well, what you need to do is just passively sit by. God doesn't feed us the way we feed our pets. You know, we get our pets food, we pour it in the bowl and go, Lily, come here, come eat it. We do everything. All they have to do is eat. You're not going to go home and see a T-bone waiting on your plate. God provides for you by giving you strong arms, by giving you a strong mind to go and work. And he provides all of those things. And sometimes... Christians misunderstand these truths. You may have heard of the famous missionary Hudson Taylor who went to China, and the first time as he was sailing, a storm blew up. And so the captain told everyone, you need to put on the life belts. And Taylor said, no. If God wants to protect me, I don't need a life belt. And yet as Taylor got older, he later recounted that that actually wasn't what God meant by protecting us. Taylor writes, the use of means, such as a life belt, ought not to lessen our faith in God. And our faith in God ought not to hinder our using whatever means he's given us for the accomplishment of his own purposes. In other words, God providing for your bread might be you getting up tomorrow morning and going to work. But who gave you the job? Who gave you the strength to work through that day? Who gave you the mind to do those tasks? And so we don't trust our efforts, and we don't get anxious, but we trust him. But thirdly, Jesus says, not only should we consider greater value than the birds, our greater value than the birds, but also, verses 25 through 26, we should consider our impotence. As Jesus says in verse 25, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, the clear answer is nobody can. In the issues of life that most matter, you have no control at all. Who decided you would come into existence? Not you. You didn't even decide that you would become a human being. For years, you lived where every food you ate, everything you drank, even the cleaning of your messes had to be done by others. Even now, you're not telling your heart to keep going, at least not mentally. You're not telling your lungs to keep breathing. Those are involuntary actions that you don't control. And thus Jesus concludes, look, if you can't even do these small things, then why are you anxious about the rest? It's like being all worked up. What if gravity stopped right now? What would happen And working yourself? What if gravity ceased? Well, can't control it. If God decides to end gravity, he does. So I just have to live my life knowing that the gravity is keeping me attached here. If it stops, I'll just float away, and whatever else happens to your body mass when there's not gravity, I'm not a scientist but some of you could figure that out. But nonetheless, I have no control over it, so I just trust God with it. It'd be a complete waste of time and energy to be worried about it. Thus, we have to face the fact that in the most important issues of life, we're impotent. However, we're loved by the one who is omnipotent, omnipotent, our Heavenly Father. Thus, rather than worrying we cast our anxieties on the one who can do something about it. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 declares, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives sleep to his beloved. Now you might be thinking, why are you bringing this up? This is the very reason I'm anxious. My life's out of control. I don't control anything. That's the reason I'm upset. Why do you bring that up? Well, because we have to face reality. We have to face our fears. We have to face our anxieties. Your growth does not happen by faith and trust and a little pixie dust. You have to attack your anxiety, your sin. You'll never defeat an enemy if you're continually fleeing away from them. You'll never overcome your anxieties if you downplay Oh, I'm not really worried about that, when it's eating you alive. We're active so they don't exist. We're transformed. or are changed by the renewing of our mind. We have to consider new facts. We must look our impotence in the eye, but also realize the love of the Omnipotent One. Life isn't out of control, it's in the calm and controlled, nail-pierced hands of your Savior. As well, we have to really not realize, not only does worry not help us, it actually, in fact, hurts us. It's estimated that over $300 billion is annually spent because of stress. And stress and anxiety leads to high blood pressure leads to heart problems, diabetes, skin condition, and even arthritis. So you can't do a single thing to lengthen your life with your worry. You might do a lot to make that life more miserable while you have it. So Jesus now says, consider your greater value than plants. Verses 27 through 28, his fourth reason. And Jesus points to a flower and says, look, how is that flower so beautiful? Where did it get its clothes, so to speak? Now today, if you want a new shirt, a new dress, a new pants, you just go to the store, pick it out, make sure it's the right size and go home. Back then, they couldn't do that. If they wanted something, they first had to get a plant, like cotton or flax, or go to an animal and get its wool or its hair. And then they'd have to make that into a thread. And then they'd have to take that thread with many, many more threads and make cloth. And then they would need to measure and cut and sew to get something new. And yet, we have to make all that effort and Jesus says, look at the flowers. They're the most beautiful thing. They're more beautiful than even Solomon. the wealthiest Israelite who ever lived, when he had his best clothes, they didn't even compare to what the flowers were wearing. And so Jesus says, consider that. And you're of more value than them. Then he shifts the image to the grass of the field. Look, grass that's here today, or in Wichita Falls, it's not always here today, but sometimes it was here, and then it's gone quickly tomorrow. And grass, in their society, they didn't have a lot of trees, so it's mainly just used to be burned. It's it's pointless. And yet, God says, look, you're more value than the grass. Maybe it might be thinking, wow, came to church, and I learned I'm worth more than grass. Deep insights. That was was really deep. And yet, Jesus responds to that, because look at what he says. Oh, you of little faith. Are you living out that you're of more value than the grass? To live in anxiety is to say, look, God isn't really caring for me. God isn't really looking out for me. It's to mentally assume that God doesn't really care. And thus Jesus doesn't mince any words. He rebukes us for our little faith. He calls anxiety for what it is, a lack of trust and care, God's care for us. And so, we need to realize the serious nature of our anxiety. At the same time, Jesus said we have little faith, not no faith. You maybe have been to a play, and normally in the back of the play, they will have a spotlight, and the spotlight shines on one part of the stage. And you can normally see some of the other actors on other parts of the stage. They're not as focused, but you can see them. And you can even kind of make out a little bit what's on your program because of the light that's... Coming from the spotlight. Yet, that spotlight in our mind, it often gets focused on our circumstances. That spotlight gets focused on what's going on. What could happen? What will happen? And when the spotlight is focused on our circumstances, it's no longer focusing on God. It's like we have little light. We have little faith. And thus, Jesus says, we must get our focus back off our circumstances, and back on God. In this case, Jesus now says you should consider your loving Father. This is verses 29 and 30. For Jesus says in verse 29, Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, Then your Father knows that you need them. Now the point is not that you can't, after lunch, go seek a ham and cheese sandwich. If you want to make ham and cheese, go ahead. The point is that you shouldn't be preoccupied with it. You shouldn't be anxious over it. In fact, don't be worried at all. In the word, Daryl Bach notes, for worry is kind of this hovering between hope and fear. The picture is of anxious, emotional insecurity and instability as it races between various emotions. And you may have felt this pull back and forth. Monday, you're just fine, no problems at all. Your friends ask how you're doing. Oh, I'm great. Tuesday morning, you wake up, you're a wreck. You can barely get out of bed because of all the anxieties. But by lunch, you're carefree again. Life's going great. And then in bed, you can't fall asleep. And the next day you find, and you're constantly getting pulled back from anxiety. And then, yes, I'm trusting God, but yeah, I'm anxious. And you're back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus says, look, the antidote is twofold. First, that's what everyone, everyone who doesn't even know that I'm their father, that's what they do. Don't be like them. Second, You can rest comfortably because your Father knows we need them. What difference has it made that God is your Father? To know God means more than being able to walk through the various aspects of God's character and systematic theology. To know God is to day by day walk in trust. Walk in knowledge that He loves us and He controls all things. So the solution to your anxiety, it's not going to be found in a technique. It's not going to be found in some meditative practice. It's not going to be found in a pill. The solution is knowing and trusting God. Jeremiah the prophet writes in Jeremiah 17, 7-8, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A drought raises the possibility of anxiety. The wait for the medical diagnosis has the potential for worry. The fact that your child or spouse is later than they said they'd be has the opportunity to lead to deep panic. However, if we have our roots in life, deeply planted in God, then even when the droughts of life come, whatever those droughts may be, we can bear fruit of hope and trust, not worry and anxiety. And yet Jesus says, not only is God our Heavenly Father, He's also our Shepherd. So in verses 31 through 32, we see the sixth thing that we can, should consider our Shepherd's gifts. Because Jesus now tells him in verse 31, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so Jesus says, put your efforts into what God is doing in this world. just think every other nation, every other empire, every other kingdom is going to fail. It's going to go away, and yet God's kingdom will last forever. And thus, Jesus promises, if they'll do this, all the other things will be taken care of. They can trust if they seek God, he will provide for them. Therefore, they don't need to fear. And then Jesus uses this endearing term. He calls them little flock. What is a little flock? It's a flock that you know every sheep by name. It's one in which every single one is not just an animal to be raised and sold, but it's precious. It's almost like a family member. And Jesus, the good shepherd, who knows each of us by name, says, we are his little flock. So due to him, we shall not want. He'll make us lie down in green pastures. He'll restore our soul. He'll guide us and protect us so we don't need to fear any evil. And our cup will overflow with good things. So goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And Jesus then says, look, your Father is even well pleased to give you the kingdom. As a shepherd, I'm going to give you the whole kingdom. Now This is a great promise because there's some things you can seek, and you'll never get it. You know, at the Olympics, over 80 athletes will compete in the 100-meter dash. But of those 80, out of the countless hundreds and thousands who just tried to get there, out of those 80 that made it there, only three will get a medal. And only one is going to get the gold. You can seek it, but only a few are going to get it. Jesus says, everyone who comes to him, the king, will be welcomed into the kingdom. It's a search that leads in success. You can achieve it. And so Jesus says, you will be received. And if we've been given the kingdom, he's saying, why worry about all these other things? Imagine tomorrow if you got a certifiably true contact, that you are actually part of the royal family of England. Not some scam email that says, hey, I'll give you $5,000 because I want to give you millions. But you know, this actually came from the Queen of England. They were looking in their records, and you are part of the royal family, and they want you to come live in Buckingham Palace with them. And coming the next day is a personal jet they've sent for you with servants who are going to come and take all your stuff with you. And it's true. And yet all night you're going... Are they gonna have plane on the fl- Are they going food on the flight back? Are they gonna make sure we have better than peanuts and a soda? Well, why are you worrying about this little thing? You've just been brought into the kingdom. You have wealth beyond compare. You're gonna move from well, if you love Wichita Falls, this might be a downer, but from Wichita Falls to Buckingham Palace. Why are you worried about this little thing? Jesus says. I have given you the entire kingdom. One day this whole earth will be yours. You will live forever and reign with me. So why are you going to worry about what I'm going to eat a while from now? Why are you going to worry about a medical diagnosis? Your good shepherd has given you an everlasting kingdom. So trust him, he says. Rest in him. Know that he has a plan that's bigger and better for us than anything that ever worries us. Well, Jesus ends by giving us one last consideration, and that is we must consider our worship. Verses 33 through 34, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be familiar with the show. It's quite old now, but The Facts of Life. And in it, one of the main actresses was Lisa Welchel. And Randy Alcorn recounts how she, in her autobiography, told about how her eyes were opened, how privileged she was, and she felt convinced and convicted by God, I need to start giving more away. And yet then friends and family came and started giving her counsel, and she thought, well, yes, maybe all this logic, all these arguments, Maybe I shouldn't be giving it away. And she abandoned the call and she said, I closed my eyes and returned to living a life that seemed to make sense. She then writes, less than 10 years later, all that money was gone anyway. A chunk of it had been invested in a high-rise office building in Pittsburgh that went belly up. Another significant portion was in Texas land that dried up during the oil crisis and was eventually foreclosed upon. When I got married, I sold my condo and bought a house during the California real estate boom of the 1980s only to give it back when the market crashed. The facts of life was canceled and I spent all the cash I had making payments on everything for as long as I could. At 28, I was broke. In earthly wisdom, she should hang on, cling on to everything you have, and yet Jesus is saying, look, bad investments happen. Maws come in and eat it. Thieves come in and steal it. Inflation comes and eats away all you've made. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that every single one of us needs to go home afterwards and sell every possession. We know that is not Jesus' point, but Jesus might be calling you to give away much more than you'd ever considered. Jesus' point is really twofold. If you're only rich in possessions now, they're going to all go away. You might be like the rich fool in Jesus' parable right before this. I'm great. My life is set for years. I'm going to eat. Drink and be merry. And that very night he was called before God. He didn't get to enjoy any of it. Thus, invest your resources in what is going to last. You know, we worry about those things that can be taken away from us. But first Peter four, sorry, 1 four, tells of our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So place your hope, your trust, on what's never going to be taken away. But Jesus' second point is that look, if you're seeking true life, seeking the kingdom, then your values will have changed. Rather than getting and having, our life is about giving and sharing. It's a reversal of values. If we're in his kingdom and see the value of it, it's no longer about me, me, me. It's about God and loving his image. And this will happen. Jesus concludes, verse 34, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you think is the most valuable thing on earth, anytime it starts to be taken away, your anxieties and worries will grow. In other words, the ultimate cure for worry is to put your greatest treasure, or to use biblical language, to put your worship in God himself. He can never be taken away from you You God made you more for more than a good life with healthy and intelligent children a comfortable salary vacations and a nice retirement God made you for more than making the sports teams being popular at your school and having the latest clothes and gadgets God made you for himself and if he's your greatest treasure then your anxieties, your worries will take proper perspective. So, the future can grip us. Worries can seem to suffocate us. Yet, in the midst of uncertainties, Jesus gives us seven wonderful truths to consider. David Pallison gives us a helpful way to fight our anxieties. Now, this isn't a silver bullet. It's not a magic formula. But it's a general plan. And it's helpful because... First, he says, "Look, what is it that is specifically bringing you anxiety? Name it. Talk to your friends about it. Be clear about what it is, because we think all oh, everything's going wrong. But when we sit and talk, we realize it's only a few things." Second, to overcome our anxiety, we need to identify how that manifests itself. You know, it doesn't look the same for all of us. Because then, as you realize those triggers in your life that are showing you anxiety, then you know. I need to attack it now. Third, ask yourself, why am I anxious? And I think, well, You already answered that in the first one. I'm anxious because the stock market just went down some. But that's not why you're anxious. Other people don't get concerned about that. Why is it that you are so concerned about the stock market? What is it about the stock market or your health or your children that is so invested in your life? Others panic, maybe over getting a plane, but eh, that's no problem for you. Others have issues that grip them. But then fourth, we don't just think about it. We take the promises of Jesus and apply it specifically. Jesus just gave us seven different weapons. But unless you're some kind of crazy ninja, you can't wield seven weapons at once. So you need to take one weapon, one verse, one truth, and attack that one anxiety and meditate on it your worries don't come and then go away so don't let your focus on scripture come and go away over and over and then you might change for a different weapon a different verse and apply that wonderful truth but take the truth of god and apply it to that specific anxiety but don't just stay there also go to god fifth bring it to him he's your father and then sixth give Anxiety grows when our life curves in. We can be freed as we, as Jesus said, seek others. So what have you shown the spotlight of your thoughts upon? If the spotlight of your thoughts is on your situation, then anxiety is going to blossom like weeds do in the spring. If your spotlight is on God, then the anxiety isn't going to, poof, magically disappear. But it takes the proper perspective. It's what is Catching the reflection of your light as it focuses on God. Helen Limmel was born in England to a pastor, pastor's daughter, in 1863. At age 12, her family migrated to the U.S. and eventually they settled down in Wisconsin. And she was a very talented singer. Her parents gave her all the best training she could get. And she then went on to train even in Germany and came back. And for years, all throughout the Midwest, would give concerts. She ended up getting married. And life was going well. And then she became blind. And her husband left her due to her blindness. And one day, as a friend was reading to her, he wrote these words from a tract called Focus. The words were, So then turn your eyes upon him. Look full into his face and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. The spotlight was focused no longer on her circumstances but on the ruler of her circumstances. And on this, as the spotlight shone on him, the circumstances of life took their proper perspective. And she joyfully reflected those words, the beautiful hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Those who knew Mary later in life would tell of her joy and enthusiasm. Though she lived off government welfare in a sparse bedroom, whenever she was asked how she was doing, she would reply, I'm doing well in the things that count. Her spotlight focused on the correct one. So where is your spotlight? Where are you focused today? There are anxious things. There are things that I know many of you are burdened with. They're not going to go away. But you can focus your light on your Father. And as the light shines on them, you'll still see the anxieties on the side, but they'll take their perspective. And you can go forward with hope today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are wearied and troubled. Oh, Lord, we come at times weighed down and we want our eyes to be refocused on You. Lord, would You give us eyes to see, eyes to trust. Lord, may we fight effectively. Would You give us victory over our anxieties and give us firm resolve and trust in You. Oh, Lord, we need You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.